This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And about a year ago, I started podcasting because I decided I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to reach people who might never have considered coming into therapy or were interested in perhaps hearing another therapist's perspective. We talk about all kinds of things here. And today, we're talking about apologizing. Do you struggle to apologize? Do you feel like... Somehow you're taking an inferior position if you do so. How often do the words, I'm sorry, come out of your mouth? We're going to talk about good kinds of apologies, ones that make a big difference, and crummy kinds of apologies. We'll review some research on the idea that there are gender differences in apologies, differences between the way men and women apologize, We'll touch on what you learned in your family about apologizing and how that's important. And then three reasons why I believe it's really vital in your relationship to be pretty comfortable with saying, I'm sorry. Then, as we always do every episode, I've got an email from a listener. And by the way, I love it, love it when I get emails from y'all. It really helps me tune in to who my audience is, what you like to hear what your problems are, what your issues are. So I'll give you my email in a few minutes, and I'd love to hear from you. But this listener has listened to my podcast on Perfectly Hidden Depression, and she had a great question. She's afraid if she revealed her depression to her partner, then it will negatively affect her relationship. So she had some questions about that, and I'm going to answer them. So thanks for being here. And we're going to talk about apologizing. When I was a kid growing up, my boyfriend and I were searching around for things to do except kiss. (laughs) And my mother said, go paint the upstairs room. There was a room that hadn't been painted It had a ping pong table in it, I think, or a pool table. And so we set out to kind of make it our room. Remember, we painted it pale yellow. And we put up posters of a movie that was very popular at the time. It was Love Story with Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. It was back in 1970. And there was a song, a hit song, and a line from the movie that said, Love means you never have to say you're sorry. My 16-year-old self loved that. I couldn't wait to get into a relationship where everything was understood. You you just couldn't mess up. That was going to be great. Well, it didn't work that way as my high school boyfriend and I found out. And certainly I have found out in other relationships. I think love means you say you're sorry and you mean it very sincerely. When I decided to do a podcast on this, I started looking up what other people had to say about apologizing. And I really like the writing of a woman named Elizabeth Bernstein or Bernstein. She writes for the Wall Street Journal and her articles are well-researched and a lot of fun to read. You got to look her up. 
So there was an article she wrote a couple of years ago called, I'm very, very, very sorry. Really? We apologize more to strangers than to family. And in it, she outlines one good apology and five really crummy ones or bad ones. And these are so familiar that I thought I'd go through them. And I added a couple of my own. So the first one that's a really good one, of course, is the heartfelt apology where you say, I'm sorry, you take responsibility. I know I hurt you and it won't happen again. So not only do you convey empathy for the person that you hurt, but you let them know that in the future, you're going to try not to do it again. I've got a second good one. She only listed the heartfelt one as a good one. I call it the compassionate apology. When you say things like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry that happened. Meaning you're not taking responsibility. You really didn't have much to do with it. But you again, relay compassion and that you can imagine that happening and that it would not be a pleasant experience. In fact, it might be a hurtful one. Sometimes people misunderstand this and think you are taking responsibility and they'll say, it's not your fault and you really just mean it empathically. But Bernstein listed five more apologies that I've, again, added two. They're just, don't do this, apologies. They're just terrible communication. One she calls the strategic apology. You really don't think you did anything wrong and you've got an agenda, basically. You want to get the other person to hush or to control the situation. I see this a lot after affairs. People will say, well, I'm sorry. Let's move on. I said I was sorry. Have you heard that? I said I was sorry. (laughs) It does not feel good to hear that. And then there's the defensive apology. I'm sorry, but I didn't know that would hurt your feelings. Or I'm sorry, but I was doing the best I can. Wow, have we ever heard that one, especially in our relationships with parents, with our partners, the whole I'm doing the best I can thing, as if the other person doing the best they can somehow causes their actions not to hurt you. That doesn't make any sense. That's not rational. So the defensive apology, again, is used to somehow dilute the responsibility. Then, number three, the contingent apology. They really don't know what they did, and they really don't care that it hurt you. Well, I'm sorry if I did something wrong. That, again, has an insincerity about it that just doesn't pass muster and feels terrible to hear. Makes you mad. Number four is what she terms the too late apology. When someone waits days, months, or even years, I realize now that I was wrong. As I thought about this, I don't necessarily agree with Bernstein, that this is a bad kind of apology. It's obviously not ideal, but it's probably better than nothing. And a lot of times we as humans, unfortunately, don't quite realize all the circumstances that we need to. We don't understand the impact of our actions on our children, especially, or maybe to other family members or friends. So I I would think that the too late apology is better than none and actually can help someone that you've hurt to move on. If you apologize for something important in the past, in many ways, you're affirming what their gut has told them all along, that there was a reason why they were hurt. 
So it's an important gift to give someone, especially if you really care about them. Then the last one that she lists is called the bully apology. (laughs) This is something your boss can do to you. I'm so sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to give you this assignment and it's 445 and it's Friday and I don't really care that you just got 15 more minutes to do it. It's extremely insincere and in many ways it's kind of condescending. So she calls that, again, the bully apology. Now I'm going to add two more. One of them is the cousin to the defensive apology. If you remember, that's the, I'm sorry, but, I'm sorry, but I didn't know, blah, blah, blah. I call it the passing the buck apology. Well, I'm sorry, but if you didn't say that to me, I wouldn't have reacted that way. You can hear that the other person is trying to defend again their position, which of course makes it a defensive apology, but they're not just defending, they're also saying that really their response was based on something you said or did. And so it's really your fault that you're hurt. This is pretty manipulative as someone tries to turn the tables and make their actions about you. An even more egregious one is what I term the gaslighting apology. We talked a little bit about gaslighting in the last podcast on narcissism, It's when you're really denying the reality of someone's perceptions or experiences and basically telling them it didn't happen. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I have. When someone says, I'm sorry, you remember it that way. As if your memory is somehow faulty. Again, you can hear the manipulation. This person definitely has the intent to pull the rug up from under you. Sometimes it's hard to catch especially if it happens over and over and over. I wrote a post on the importance of apologizing a couple of years ago on my website, and I got this irate message back from a man saying I was trying to feminize men, that women apologized and were comfortable with apologizing, but that men weren't, and I needed to leave that alone. There's actually research on gender differences And I've included a link in the show notes from an article by Dr. Jennifer Thomas, who quoted the research and said that men actually will apologize at the same rate as women, but they view an apology-needed behavior differently, meaning they might not apologize for something that women would apologize for. The research shows that women do apologize more than men in general, They don't have as much of a barrier. They don't feel like they're losing status, which some men somehow feel like they are if they apologize. But what I've noticed in my practice is there's a huge family connection as well. If you don't learn to apologize in your family growing up, then you're much less likely to apologize, obviously, as an adult. Maybe you grew up in a family where no one apologized for anything. You're either taking a one-down position by uttering such words, or there just simply wasn't a lot of caring about the impact of actions on each other. You didn't see your parents apologize to each other. They either argued a lot and there was no resolution, there was no negotiation or compromise, or their word ruled, and they simply took a very authoritarian stance as parents. They were in control. And they didn't need to say they were sorry. 
they didn't need to apologize. My take is that we all are going to be disappointing and frustrating sometimes. We're human beings. In a relationship, if you're going to be happy, I think it's important to take responsibility for your own actions. Disappointments are tolerated in a good, healthy marriage, but they can get overwhelming at times. So I think there are three things that are very important about apologizing in your relationship. First one is saying you're sorry means that you recognize that your behavior has an impact on those around you. What you say, what you don't say, do, don't do. It reflects that you notice that impact and frankly care about the person you may have unintentionally hurt or disappointed. The second reason is saying you're sorry avoids the cycle of fighting about who's right and who's wrong. We all have our perceptions and our own truth. But if you fight about who's right all the time, your marriage won't make it. Your relationship will not be healthy. Unless a discussion is about something extremely factual, like what you ate for breakfast, all we have is our perceptions. And the third reason is saying you're sorry builds trust. It's very simple. You're taking responsibility for your part of things. You're giving to someone else what it feels good to receive. So it's a wonderful gift to give. It's not a loss of status, not a loss of power, but a gift. Just a simple statement like, you know, I'm sorry I forgot to go by and pick up those meds. I can do it tomorrow morning if that would help. Just a simple acknowledgement, a sincere statement of recognizing your impact on someone else. Not only do you care, but you let them know that you care. Today's email from a listener is about perfectly hidden depression and a problem a a listener is having in even considering giving up hiding. She says, Hi, Margaret. Thank you for your blog and your podcasts. I was amazed when I found the list of signs for perfectly hidden depression. I found it a month ago or so, and I've since started seeing a therapist, which has worked wonders. The last month or so, I've thought a lot about my existence. I don't really know who I am if I'm not the achiever. Who am I when I'm not at the top of my profession, when I'm not taking care of everyone? When I'm not always there for my boyfriend and his kids, I get like a nervous feeling. I've never really had the guts to be with someone that I truly love. I found the ones that couldn't be vulnerable or that I didn't love. I cared and helped them with something. I wanted to change them. But now I'm really happy. I found a good man, a really good man, and replacing him would be impossible. I'm worried that my depression will drive him away. How do I give myself permission to be happy? I also realize that curing a depression is selfish work. A lot of thought and focus is directed at me and my person. The focus should be on everyone else, not on my well-being. The mask should come off eventually, right? So here's my answer. Hello, it sounds as if you're on quite a journey, figuring out that you only valued yourself for what you can do for others. I don't believe that focusing on yourself is selfish. Rather, it's about self-awareness, not selfishness. If you're self-aware, and of course some of that means honoring and respecting your own pain, It can free you to be whatever you want, and that can include giving to and caring for others. If you've been attracted to a good and healthy man, letting him see your vulnerabilities will only make the two of you closer. 
if he's capable of understanding, of having empathy, talking about who you really are is healthy. Not doing anything about being depressed or anxious is quite another thing and can actually be very wearing on a relationship. It sounds as if wrapping around these ideas is quite new for you, and of course it's going to be anxiety-provoking at first. I hope my blog and podcasts are helping with that journey. I think this is an important question because so often when we think about focusing on ourselves or, as she calls it, curing a depression, we think that that work is only going to impact us. And actually, when you think about it, if you are not either classically depressed or hiding depression, it will positively impact the relationships that you have in your life. Yes, it means sometimes going to therapy or reading a book or journaling or exercising and whatever you do to take care of yourself. And so that takes some time for you, but it's okay for you to be on your list and you can choose freely to be there and care for other people if that's important to you. I want to thank you for being here and listening to Self Work today. You can reach me in lots of different ways. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. And again, I love to hear from people. I want to know who you are, what you're dealing with, what you'd like for me to talk about. I try to talk about very diverse things here on Self Work. So if one episode isn't your particular cup of tea, then all you have to do is wait for the next one. I'd be very grateful if you would leave me a rating or review, especially on iTunes, but anywhere where you listen. A rating takes actually about two seconds. A review may take a minute, and you can remain anonymous, but those kinds of ratings and reviews keep me in the top listings on iTunes, and that way I can get exposed to a larger audience. So you're really helping me out, and I would be very grateful for that. Another way is just to tell your friends, hey, I've got this podcast I'm listening to. That would be really, really wonderful. If you subscribe to my website, you'll get my weekly newsletter, which will include not only a podcast, but will include a weekly blog post. Again, I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope that the discussion on apologies has been helpful. And maybe if you've struggled in the past, just give a simple, you know, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that maybe it will be a little easier for you. So thanks for listening. Take good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.